This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we have a very interesting guest, uh, Dr. Cody Bontan, and uh, Dr. Bontan is uh, Assistant Professor at the New Jersey Institute of Technology's College of Computing, uh, and also an affiliate of New York University's Center for Social Media and Politics. Dr. Bontan, thanks for joining us. Good to have you. Yeah, so, so much of a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're going to talk about this really important subject of uh, uh, how researchers, uh, no matter what their field, use a mass of data from many, many people uh, to do research into all sorts, of, uh, all sorts of things while being sure that people have shared their information with some expectation that it's not going to go public and cause all sorts of problems for them. So, uh, and that's a field you've been studying for some time. Yeah, so how we use data that we can collect from online platforms, social media platforms, often this is called digital trace data, where people leave these digital traces uh, in the online world. How we use that to study the, the real world or make the online information ecosystem uh, more informative or learn things about how people use these platforms has been hugely valuable for science. It is a little different in 1790. I think that was the first U.S. census. And then the census people asked you about your state of uh, uh, whether you were a slave or not. And somehow people answered that. Today, that isn't a question that gets asked. But it's, it's a good example to be quite different if they were posting it online, because data now is so much uh, more capable of being transferred. Well, you know, let's face it, Facebook, uh, Google, uh, uh, Amazon, these organizations collect vast amounts of data about all of this from all sorts of ways, geolocation and other ways. And, but they, fa they faced major privacy challenges, haven't they, lately? And so what's the solution that will encourage people to use their data but keep their privacy? What, what do you see? For solutions to allow people to maintain privacy, it's an interesting question because a lot of the things that people might try and do uh, to be more private or to have less of a digital footprint, oftentimes those those kinds of efforts are not hugely successful. Uh, for example, people try actively not to have Facebook accounts. I have a friend who's who's very he's very much of a luddite in this sense. No, doesn't share his email. No Facebook accounts. Uh, these kinds of things. Tries never to sign into websites for anything. But we know based on some existing coverage from the popular press, that these platforms still track a lot of information about you. Facebook was known to have what are called shadow profiles, profiles of people who don't have Facebook accounts, but can still have a lot learned about them just from the websites they visit the, and these digital traces that get left around. Uh, as an academic though, we don't have access to that kind of information. Generally, the kinds of information that we have access to uh, are whatever the platforms deem okay to share with us as academics, yeah. uh, which has its own, its own set of issues about like, all the issues that, that Facebook users and YouTube users and all these people have uh, with trying to protect their privacy from Facebook and these, and these companies. Ostensibly, they have an option to use these companies. Like, oh, if I don't like Facebook, I can stop using it. If I don't like Google, I can use something else. Um, but either but they, way, there is a vast amount of data out there about it. Even as you say, your friend uh, is a good example. There, there are digital traces of all of us, all sorts of places. 
and, and, and so let me ask you this, just as, as an academic, let's say an academic for a perfectly legitimate reason, <clears throat> writes to Google or Facebook or whoever it may be and say, I'd like to use a mass of data about subject X, I don't know what, uh, right. will they share that uh, with you? Uh, so, so the, the general case is, or the general answer is no. Uh, Google is Google and Facebook are pretty hesitant about this, about sharing information with academics, regardless of how much information is out there. Uh, one way you do this is by, as an academic, you can go and you can work with Facebook or work with Google or work with these organizations in the company. And this is actually a, a relatively standard kind of kind of approach, but this issue. Uh, or an issue crops up here about the freedom of, of academic research, right? So if I go to Facebook and say, hey, I want to study how conspiracy theories flow on your platform, uh, but I need to do that, to do this, I need to study private groups or something like that. Facebook may, may with enough vetting, let me go to a Facebook office and then work with Facebook employees for six months. And then I can write a paper, but then Facebook legal gets to review that paper and then say, no, we don't want this paper to be published. And is uh, it all uh, pseudonymized or anonymized data, or can you, as an academic, drill down to particular individuals? Uh, if I'm working at Facebook, like if I'm actually engaged with Facebook directly and I am on their premises somewhere, potentially I could access I could access individual level data. But the the vast majority of the time, as an academic, uh, I either get no access to this data at all. Or in the case of Facebook's uh, recent Social Science One effort, they provide a data set that has a lot of noise injected into it to protect these individuals, so to provide some sort of uh, pseudo-anonymous plausible deniability for people who's, who are in these data sets. Well, tell us about some of the leaks and the misattribution that has occurred. I think Twitter and Reddit, for example, uh... Uh, may have mistakenly labeled someone, uh, an individual, as a Russian disinformation agent. Maybe it was true, maybe it was not true, but is, are these the kinds of problems that crop up when, when an academic is trying to access a database and Facebook or whoever it may be is, is concerned about something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So this question about what can what bad things can happen when your private data gets leaked is is a, a really important question. And it's part of the reason why Facebook and Google and these platforms are hesitant to allow me, some random researcher, access to really fine level individual data. Uh, one of the examples of this is from several years ago when Twitter and Reddit were releasing their list of accounts that were associated or ostensibly associated with Russian disinformation campaigns. Uh, they identified three accounts that they then retracted and said, actually, these accounts, we think we were wrong about, about saying they were Russian disinformation agents. One in particular, the story goes, is, was actually a, a legitimate American citizen who lived in the country of Georgia and was very active politically, but fit, fit this model that Twitter and Reddit had. Probably an algorithm probably said this is probably an issue. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and you would understandably have that. And now... There's no huge issue there with that one person, right? So Twitter and Reddit may have been for him, though. <laughs> it may have been, but certainly. Uh, but like in that particular instance, there was no significant fallout other than Twitter and Reddit were were relatively embarrassed by yeah, being sure. incorrect. But this can be way worse, right? So in in cases where you have people who use social media in authoritative or authoritative regimes, 
Uh, in those instances, misattribution can be a huge problem. So say there's a person who's, who fits some algorithmic model of behavior uh, that makes either me as an academic or somebody think that this person is part of a, a major opposition movement in some authoritarian country. Mm -hmm. And then that information is either leaked or I post it somewhere. And then the regime goes and takes action against that person. Uh, well, in Thailand, it's illegal to say anything bad about the monarch. Uh, you, you can go to jail for a very long time there. So that'd be a good example if someone, yeah. true or false, uh, makes a comment uh, here in the United States even, and maybe a Thai. So that's a good example. Well, let me uh, let me give you a phrase here, and maybe you can help us understand it. You're here. We're hearing this more and more. Differential privacy. What, what, what is meant by that? Absolutely. So, so going back to this question of how can we, how can platforms share data while still protecting the individual user, differential privacy is, is at least now being considered one of the major ways that this can be done. Differential privacy is this idea that we can put restrictions on the data that, that's being shared, either the quantity or the quality of that data, to impose some strict limits on the amount of information that can be learned about an individual in that data. Now, there are a lot of ways of doing that. Uh, through, like I said, restricting the amount of data or, or only sharing data that has so many people involved. Uh, Facebook in particular has been exploring this with the Social Science Research Council uh, by using a version of differential privacy that injects noise into the data that they share. And what is this council? That's very, the Social Science Council of Facebook. So what are those, academics in the social sciences? Or? So the, the Social Science Research Council is an organization that's existed for way longer than Facebook. Uh, and it's primarily academics and people who have joined the S it's called the SSRC. Uh, and then after Facebook has received so much flack for basically their unwillingness to engage with academic researchers, they partnered with the Social Science Research Council back in, I think in 2018 to create this new initiative called Social Science One, where academics can then submit applications that say, here's the particular hypotheses we want to test, can we have access to some particular set of data? And Facebook had a nice code book about what they were providing, though they've sort of walked back what they were providing uh, or what that data looked like. So now we have this version of data that's primarily about the links that people share on the platform. And we get information about how many people shared a particular link, but it's, it's also noisy. So we don't actually know how when many you say people... noisy, this is this is a way to disguise even beyond encryption or whatever else is going on. What individual may have answered yes or no to a question? Is that what noise is? Uh, so that's close. So in this in this instance, what noise is? We're given information about a particular link, say a link to a New York Times article that was popular on Facebook's platform, mm -hmm. and Facebook provides us some amount of demographic information that among women of, of a particular age bracket in the United States, we get a number of how many times that link was shared. Say it was shared by 37,000 people who fit that demographic. But we don't actually know that specific number. Facebook then adds random noise to it. So the true number could be 37,000, but what we observe is maybe 36,000 and some change or 38,000 and some change. That way there's some plausible deniability about well, an individual, if we could somehow back out individual data, maybe that was, it just looks like that person shared it when really it was just part of the noise that allowed us to think that that person was sharing something. Right. Well, I th there's a concern here, wouldn't you say, that 
the, the platforms, and, and these are this is the private sector in operation. Facebook doesn't face, tell me if I'm right, as far as you know, uh, the government coming in and telling Facebook how to deal with the social council you mentioned. Uh, so this is the private sector trying to set standards and uh, you know ethical rules to govern uh, what they do. But that platforms nonetheless are, are trying to deal with these problems and without a lot of oversight. And I, I think uh, there's a recent uh, a story on the BuzzFeed news about a leaked uh, Facebook memo. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, I won't go too deep into the into the content of the memo because there are questions about whether it was it was right to release that memo. But the yeah. main thing that we took a, that we took away from that, and which is what we as academics knew for a while, is that when Facebook and these platforms in general uh, make choices about how they intervene with uh, the spread of misinformation or how they try and protect their individuals, they generally do so with with relatively little external oversight. Uh, Facebook was working on trying to have uh, an organization like a like a board of people who were external to Facebook who would help them make decisions, but that's not really come to fruition yet. So instead, what we learned from this was that from this memo was that uh, the individual researcher or developer within Facebook has a huge amount of latitude about how they deal with these problems in their particular areas. And we as academics have no insight or very little insight into how that happens. And part of the reason why these platforms have gotten so much flack is because of the way they, they decided on what they wanted to do, optimizing for engagement or these other things, um, was done without a huge amount of thought for the unintended consequences of what that could mean for society. And by going through this process again, where they're trying to impose some agenda that we think is pro-social, it's good to try and reduce the amount of misinformation spreading on your platform. But if you do that without enough oversight or without proper thought about what the downstream consequences are, you risk repeating the exact same behavior that got them into trouble in the first place. Uh, and without this sort of external oversight, we have no real idea uh, about what's happening with, within these platforms. Yeah, and since personal data is ultimately in, in our age, zeros and ones, that's all they are. It really can't be erased. You know, once it's out there, it's out there. And so for example, some, let's take a, a, a US citizen who came over from China and used to be a Chinese person, but travels back to see the family. And if they say in the US, uh, gee, I really think Hong Kong ought to be its own country. Yeah, that might be a real problem if China finds out about it in that part of the database. So that's just right. an example of the unintended consequence you're talking about. Well, how confident are you as an academic that the databases you you work with aren't subject to, 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 to the problems associated with it? I mean, do we end up with skewed databases? And uh, you know, how, how do you deal with that? Well, we, we definitely end up with, with skewed databases sort of all, in different kinds of, of ways that you could define skew. So oftentimes the vast, like the, the majority behavior is very different than the behavior of like a small minority of people. So you get skew in that way. Uh, but also we get, we get issues where, and this is part of the value of, of what the platforms are trying to do through the Social Science Research Council and Social Science One. Some of the existing tools that we have as academics to study so misinformation or study uh, drug use or sex trafficking that happens online is by asking people to donate their data or by paying people to share their data with us. Data and, donation. Right. And you know, that works well if we're trying to understand like what's the news ecosystem like in the United States or if we're trying to understand you know, what kind of ads do people see. Uh, 
But and we see that right now. We're uh, recording this in October of 2020 before the U.S. election. But you see that with contact tracing, which depends on people willing to, you know, share information with one another for obvious reason of protecting public health. Yeah. Exactly. And then the, the selection issue comes from people who you might really care about. So if you want to study some, some socially undesirable, under, undesirable behavior like white supremacism or conspiracy theorizing about public health issues or contact tracing, the people who are maybe least likely to share or, or engage in that data sharing process are maybe the people you care about the most, uh, but it's very hard to get their data. So as a result, yeah. we get from a standpoint of like the quality of our data, we often run into this problem where the people who are in our data sets are either people who already would be okay with having their data shared or we get some very specific subset of the population and we miss these sort of large, large segments of people that we care about. Which is why the platforms, like by working with the platforms, by working with Facebook, who can say, well, here's a huge tranche of data that covers, you know, the vast majority of people who use Facebook in the United States, then we can get access to that information. Um, that's the hope anyway. But one of the things we find is that even on Facebook or even in these, in these social media platforms, uh, private groups exist. And we as academic researchers basically have zero insight into what happens in private groups, like what happens on Facebook, private Facebook groups or on WhatsApp or on Telegram. These very private platforms or very private applications. Mm -hmm where a lot of misinformation spreads, we can't study those. We just have no way to, to get insight into those spaces. Yeah, I mean, if you want to really do research into sex workers or people who actually use uh, illicit drugs or, right. as you've, you've mentioned, white supremacists, some people say, I'm a white supremacist, but they, they, they tend not to want to have that public, as you say. Right. So you're saying it's really difficult to get a lot of data that's really important to study. Yeah, and even even questions about differential privacy, like even that as a solution that Facebook's pushing, doesn't provide a solution for that because we still get no insight into these private spaces. Of course, there are, uh, I understand, internal review boards in, in the U.S., at least academic context, perhaps right. in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, that, that's one approach here to try to tamp down unethical uh, behavior. But uh, you know what other what other solutions are this uh, are, 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 are to this problem of uh, differential privacy? How do we make it work for being able to do the things that academics and others do to improve our lives um, and yet respect the privacy of people? So I mentioned in, in how to address this problem of of allowing people to share data. There's not a good solution for this yet. So. One set of solutions is the set that I mentioned before about data donation, where you empower the individual, but that comes with its own set of, of issues in terms of selection bias. And because the custodian could be hacked, perhaps. I mean, how do you trust the custodian that you've donated the data to? Yeah, and that's that's definitely another problem. And this is actually one of the major drivers for Facebook's uh, huge concern about these kinds of things, because in the Cambridge Analytica case, ostensibly an individual had legitimate access to the Facebook platform, collected huge volumes of data, and then walked away with that data. Used and gave it for it other purposes that, that weren't declared. Right. So yeah. through the Social Science One program, you know, we as academics basically agree to a laundry list of things that we will not do. Uh, and then Facebook, by putting lots of restrictions on the kind of data that we can access, they set up these, these like sets of firewalls or sets of preventative measures uh, that prevent somebody from leaking data or walking away with a large volume of data that's in individually identifiable. 
but even then that does that still comes with its own sets of problems. So there's problems on both sides, either going to the platforms has its own set of issues and the platforms are incentivized not to share all this information. Going to the individual is, has its own set of issues about, well, people who you care about most, they're not gonna engage in this, in this task. They're not gonna give you their data. Uh, right, so uh, to summarize, uh, encryption, pseudonymization, anonymization, and then noise all build in together can help the advance of uh, differential privacy that can give better databases to academics while assuring people that when they do share their data, it'll be shared as privately as one can. There's no 100% protection, I suppose. Is that sort of the bottom line, Dr. Bunting? It's kind of an interesting question about, about what the main takeaway is. So we talked a lot about like what my role as an academic is and how much, how much information I can access and all the safeguards that are put in place. Uh, to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence and treating this this data uh, in an ethical way. The really frustrating thing is, you know, my hands as an academic get tied in a lot of ways, and I'm bound by a number of restrictions that companies are not. So a company can go to Facebook and potentially ask for huge amounts of data through advertising information or all these kinds of things and learn a lot of information about, about people on the platform. And they have nowhere near the kind of oversight that I have, but yet we as academics are, are subject to much more stringent kind of review, and right, rightfully so, uh, to some degree. But it's just frustrating at the end of the day, you know, we have all these tools that we have to deploy, or we have to use to make sure that we are treating the data correctly and, and being ethical about how we do our studies. But companies do not have that same level of, of of oversight to that same level of, of obligation, and then have more potentially more access to the data than we do. Uh, so that, yeah. that, that concerns me. Well, that's a good example. It's thought that Axiom, uh, a large company that uh, has major, major client, big, big brand clients, uh, probably has more data than Google <laughs> about us. It probably knows 1,500 different points of information about each of us. And as you say, there aren't the internal review boards and the other things that you've uh, educated us about with academics. But right. uh, I, what you've said here really is that uh, if an academic uh, uh, today uh, uses the information available properly, at least the database probably will be accurate uh, as best as it can be and will respect in general the privacy of individuals. Uh, uh, what do you think? Yeah, so definitely I would say the vast majority of academics are going to try and respect the privacy of the individuals as much as possible. And we have a lot of, of, of examples of that. So we could study WhatsApp. There are methods that allow us to collect data on WhatsApp. But we don't do this because we know that surveys tell us people expect WhatsApp to be a private one-to-one -one kind of platform. That's the way you think about it, yeah. Yeah, and so if we if we are collecting data in this space, we know that we're violating the, the expectation of the individual. So in that regard and, and the way that we deal with these kinds of things, I think an individual, like a, a random individual who uses these platforms could be relatively secure in the knowledge that the academics who use this data are gonna try to do our best to safeguard their data and make sure that that any sort of possibility or possibilities for misattribution of things that we'll take very seriously and try and avoid as much as possible. 
Well, thank you very much for uh, this fascinating exploration of differential privacy, of how databases get accumulated and uh, used by academics. Really appreciate it. As always, I'll uh, end by reminding us, protecting your personal data begins with you.